Welcome to Healthcare on the Front Lines, our podcast where we discuss the healthcare industry and the women and men who are on the front lines every day making it work. I am your host, Kimberly Aline. Thank you so much for tuning in. This episode is Legacy and Leadership, Black Women in Home Care. We're talking about how the legacy of slavery combined with systemic racism influenced today's home care industry with a special focus on Black women who work in home care. Of America's 3 million home care workers, 90% are women, and more than half are women of color. Home care workers are heroes who do skilled, compassionate, and essential work that allows seniors and individuals with disabilities to stay in their homes with independence, respect, and dignity. I'm very excited to host this conversation. It is one that is so rich, we had to divide it into two parts. Joining us for this first part of the conversation are Alantris Muhammad, a home care worker from Chicago, where she is a member of SEIU, HCII, Fatima Gass-Graves, President and CEO of the National Women's Law Center, and Dr. Carrie Jones, Director of SEIU's Racial Justice Center. Legacy and Leadership, Black Women in Home Care. Let's listen in. Carrie, would you please share uh, the historical background of Black women home care workers? Yes, I sure can. I am so glad uh, that we are bringing history into this so we can understand um, how it is still alive and thrives today. So from a historical background, we must acknowledge the fact that home care or domestic care work was still and almost always considered menial or inferior, undervalued and poorly regulated, and remains virtually an invisible form of employment in this country um, and as well as many other countries. So domestic work, which home care is a growth of entailed the otherwise unpaid labor, employment for black women and other women of color that dates as far back as slavery. So African-American and black women were to sew, cook, wash, perform housekeeping chores, raise the children, and even physically care for slave owners, establishing uh, what many call the master-servant relationship. And this historically renders them vulnerable to inequality, unfair, and abusive treatment. Many will assert that the roots of slavery and the devaluation of the work performed by domestic workers, uh, including home care workers, are still prevalent in our society today and embedded in the three interlocking systems of oppression, sexism, racism, and classism. And that just plays out in the combination of that in so, so, so many ways. So I heard several themes there, racism, sexism, classism. Uh, Fatima, over to you. Carrie explained the history. And so we've seen current attacks in the media even questioning the intelligence and competence of these home care workers. How do current attacks hinder their financial independence or autonomy? 
you know, one of the things that we know is that unionization uh, has a particularly large financial benefit for women workers more broadly. That's true across industries, that unions are one of the best mechanisms to ensure that women are paid more fairly, that they have more decent working conditions. And one of the things that we have been seeing, especially in uh, recent times, is a far greater set of attacks on unionization, and that's going to have a a particular harm on women and a special harm on women of color. We saw that just last year when uh, uh, in the five to four decision, the Supreme Court overturned really decades of precedent deciding that working people who enjoyed the many protections and benefits provided by public sector unions, whether it be higher pay or things like paid leave and transparency and more, that that they do not have to contribute to the cost of actually securing unions. Uh, and so that has uh, struck a tremendous blow in unionization. Uh, the other thing you've seen is attacks by this administration. Just this summer, you saw the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services put forward a rule that uh, would bar many home care workers who were paid by the Medicaid program from actually choosing to pay their union dues through, de- through uh, de- deductions from their checks. You know, that's another way to undermine the sorts of unionization that has actually resulted in things like higher pay for these workers. And all of that is really a part of a devaluing the workforce. And that is a workforce that is, as you've just heard, largely a woman of color workforce, largely a brown and black workforce. So all of it is totally connected, our ability to ensure that um, black women in particular can actually make higher wages, family sustaining wages is very much connected with what they are facing more broadly right now. Right. And so we know that 90 percent of home care workers are women, more than half are women of color. We're focusing this conversation specifically on black women in home care. Elantris, you're our home care worker in Chicago. I'd like to um, hear about your story, how you um, started in home care work, and just about your experiences in terms of some of the things that Fatima talked about with um, the the recently proposed rule by CMS, where they're trying to end the right for home care workers to be able to support their union with their wages, their hard-earned wages, or even support um, training or access benefits with those same wages. So can you talk about how you started in home care and just your experience in fighting back attacks like this recently proposed rule by CMS? Sure. Um, I actually started in home care about approximately 12 years ago. I was an Allstate um, insurance agent where um, I never thought that this was something that I would end up doing. I was, um, like I said, I was working, um, you know, to to family income um, until one day I got a phone call. Actually, my mom had been in what was like at that time, maybe her third little accident. <clears throat> but this one would almost render her, um, oh, she almost died from this one. And 
had to see my mom in the hospital for from July until October the 13th of 2016 after losing my father uh, the same year in February from a hit and run driver. <clears throat> so actually it, in, it, it got to the point where it was a decision that had to be made. It was more so my mom was not going to be the same. And once I, you know, we came to terms with that, I just decided that uh, after talking with my husband that there was just, uh, that I was going to quit my job and take care of my mom because I didn't want her to go into a nursing home. Now, after I, um, after my mom left the rehabilitation services, <clears throat> I was told about a program through the rehabilitation service uh, in the, at the hospital. And they told me about uh, the program. Uh, they would send somebody out. Somebody came out, spoke with me about getting the services for my mom. And that's how I end up uh, be becoming a personal assistant. However, uh, upon going into the job, I actually didn't know anything as uh, far as uh, the, the anybody else exist in a job, you know, I, I just feel isolated in it. And so I started getting information coming in from, because once, once the lady uh, signed me up into the program and came out and assessed my mom, then she she gave me a a, um, a membership card. <clears throat> and I asked, and, you know, like, well, okay, what is this? And she was like, oh, you definitely want to be a part of this. This is your union. This is, like, I heard about unions, but vaguely got into it and everything. Well, I actually decided to go to a meeting one day. And once I got into the meeting, I had actually found other people that was actually doing the same work. And that made me feel a part of something. And once I started feeling a part of something, I started coming out more and then I get more active through my organizer. Once I start becoming active and start talking and and speaking at mem uh, at classes and everything, then I start going through uh, trainings because of the union has fought for a lot of these um, classes that we now uh, are privileged to get because of the union and negotiating for the contracts and everything. Um, the thing was that was 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 really nerve wracking in it was the fact that we had we had this union and we had people and members that was into it and but it was every single year it seemed like there was always an attack for against the job against the seniors against. Uh, personal assistance and uh, people with disabilities. And it was just like, how could they not see the importance of what we do? How can they try to take this from people that depend on, depend on it? Like Fatima was saying, when it came to the point where now we're, uh, we've been attacked by as our union dues are concerned, so guess our union hit the ground running. I think about what Carrie was saying about in in the early days when 
we maybe didn't have, when we didn't have voices, when, when, when black women of color, we just, we just pretty much, we sat and we did the uh, domestic work. We did everything and we didn't have anybody to fight for us. So we didn't have our own voices. We just, we just worked and we worked and we worked and we, and we, the pay was little of nothing. And so now I see from then and where we come, where we are now, I think it's so important that we continue to fight uh, for our unions, before our consumers, for women, uh, not of just black women, of all, you know, of all colors, you know, because of the fact that it's so important not to go back in from uh from the beginning you know we're we're too far from that to to go back i just think that we should continue to fight because the fact that a lot of women uh are now more educated we're more in the forefront of everything and we just need we just every day another senior Another person becomes a senior, another child is born, and we never know where we'll be. And that's why it's important to continue to make sure that these services, the union and everything is available to everybody. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Elantris, for sharing those details um, about your career transition into home care. Uh, You said that these attacks are serious. Um, Definitely. You know, these attacks, uh, such as the proposed rule by CMS that you and Fatima talked about, uh, that's all a part of a very sophisticated, coordinated, um, concerted attack that is anti-labor, anti-union, and is anti-women. And so... We have a lot to lose. We've made significant strides, obviously, but we certainly have a lot to lose. And so, Carrie, you heard Elantris talk about the um, Harris versus Quinn Supreme Court decision. If we consider that decision, um, that rule basically defined home care work as not real work. What does that tell us about how our country views working women? So if you take into account the racist legacy of the exclusions um, that and the married with the assumption that women's work, especially black women's work, isn't really work, and, you know, that lingers still today. So the 2014 Harris versus Quinn, when the majority of the Supreme Court voted to put home care workers who were paid with public funds into a category from other workers as partially public employees, And what happened in the home was not really work, and unions had no place to represent workers uh, in in the workplace that was someone else's private domain. So this ultimately says that black women were and remain a reliable source of cheap labor, with most of the compensation across the board being below a living wage. This continues the um, exploitation, the devaluing of women, and the profiting of their labor through the care that at some point in our lives, most of us will need. And so we've talked about uh, Harris versus Quinn, but there are other uh, recent efforts by the administration, the Trump administration, 
and the Supreme Court. Pratima talked about this a little bit um, earlier. So there's um, Janice, there's a CMS proposed rule that would change the way union home care workers can can pay their dues um, to the union that they chose to join with the money that they earned. Fatima, how do these recent efforts by the administration, and, and we know that a lot of these um, attacks, um, these anti-progressive attacks are fueled and funded by the state policy network, um, their affiliates like the, the Freedom Foundation, Foundation, but how do these attacks affect Black women's standing in society, be it financially or professionally or, or even in their communities? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, raised again that we're dealing with a wide range of attacks that Black women in particular are facing acutely. I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that this week the Senate was considering the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, who has a terrible record on workers' rights. There are deep concerns about his record on both race discrimination, sex discrimination, and access to reproductive health care. All of that uh, Black women would be feeling um, particularly deeply. But we're also dealing with different types of threats from this administration. So it's not just the ability to organize and the willingness to honor existing labor laws like I discussed before, but there are also additional attacks on our safety net more broadly. And that affects not only the ability of people, uh, of our systems to be able to um, provide for workers who pay for workers who are in jobs that are dominated by mostly black women. Um, But it is also the ability for people who are making um, very low wages and wages that are so low that they tend to also need additional support to be able to live, let alone for them and their families to thrive. That is an extra burden that that Black women uh, who are more likely to be breadwinners for their families are often facing. And when you add on to the ongoing attacks that we have been dealing with on our civil rights protection, I will just say that Black women are holding a lot in this moment. Not surprising. Uh, so we've hit at different points during this conversation just the, the issue of wages and low wages, wage inequity, wage suppression. Alantris, you're a member of the executive board at SEIU HCII. Can you share a little bit of a background on how some of your fellow union sisters really gathered together um, in the 80s to stand together in a union and they only made a dollar an hour? Just a dollar an hour. Um, So I think this is a very compelling story. Elantris, can you tell us a little bit about it? When we sit and they tell the history of when they first started with uh, trying to unionize and become a union, how that job, how the job only paid a dollar an hour. And they were saying how they would just would just kind of meet and, uh, you know, just have little meetings and 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 talk to each other and talk about and, you know, go uh, to each other's homes and different things to talk about how important it is to get, you know, to this job be recognized as a job uh, and that we get paid, you know, more because they are worth more money. And 
how they even collected Jews, how they would just, where people would just bring in their, you know, just bring in their monies. And so that was really profound to me to say the least that, oh my God, you know, if we have gotten from a, from just a few, a handful of members to now thousands across Indiana, Missouri, Kansas, Illinois, and just um, imagine what we can do if we all contribute and all continue. And the fact that they have laid the foundation for us now that we are making more money now and it, it and we are trying to make sure that the powers that be, the legislators and senators and uh, presidents, everyone knows in the world knows that this, the job that we do is vital. We still have a long way to go. You know, home care workers, your union, Elantris, has certainly made uh, a lot of strides, but we still have a very long way to go. Uh, you know, a lot of, of the three million home care workers across the country, many of them still face um, serious financial struggles. So that concludes the first part of Legacy and Leadership, Black Women in Home Care. Thank you for tuning in for this part of the conversation. This conversation will continue over on part two, where we will be joined by Kim Thomas. And Kim will share her perspectives as a Black woman living and working in the South and as a non-union home care worker who has worked first in North Carolina as a home care worker and now in South Carolina. Keep listening for part two of Legacy and Leadership, Black Women in Home Care.